Hi, this is Tim Sanders, founder of the Omnia Radiation Balancer. Pretty soon there will be 5G masks going out all around us and we want to make sure that you're giving yourself the best protection on the market. Our solution is unique. We use a new source of energy from the fifth dimension to balance radiation fields on any device, making it safe to use. Our results show that this structures water, it balances the blood and it keeps your body super strong. And yes, it works on 5G. The energy in the patch never runs out, so count up all the radiating devices in your life, stick one on each, and you're done. Click on the link below and you'll soon be bringing balance and strength back to your body. Thank you. But I got it. So now I don't have the Wi-Fi in here. Thank God. Yeah, that's a good like, thing. The energy of it just kind of creeps into my body and gets me feeling like this. It's horrible. And, and my body yeah. just won't settle down for hours. Yeah. Yeah. You have, do you have a lot of organite in your house? Um, not enough, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to get some more shungite. You know, shungite so, also helps. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, we should, uh, we'll, we'll hook you up. Or the Omnia, yeah. We should send you some of the Omnia patches we're affiliated with. Um, uh -huh. It's like a Nikola Tesla type of free energy technology, and it it works with, I mean, it, it works with the electricity that's already in the air, and it just turns all that harmful radiation, it harmonizes it and balances it into something uh -huh. that's actually beneficial for you. Yeah, and that would be great. It changed my life. I put it on our devices. Mm -hmm. My migraine headaches went away that I didn't, that no doctor, no medicine would take care of. I know, because I've had really bad headaches trying to sleep at night for yeah. probably the last nine years, almost 10 years. Yeah, well, we'll talk after this and we'll send you some. We'll make sure, yeah. I'll make sure Tim gets you some. Yeah, That's great. definitely, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, believe me, it, it'll it, they it's, work. Yeah, it's crazy because they're, they're just these little stickers that look like, I just look a little sticker. Yeah. Um, but they do work. Yeah. All right. I'm going to pull up your bio here, read part of it, and then, um, we'll get going. Okay. If you're ready. Oh, let me make sure this volume's down. Do I look okay? You look, you look great. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thank you. <laughs> That's how we're going to start it. Do I look okay? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> hey guys, you're listening to Journey to Truth podcast. I'm Tyler. This is Aaron. We never introduce ourselves, just for those who don't know, in case you're tuning in for the first time. Tonight, we are joined by Niara Isley. Uh, Niara has a very interesting story. She experienced some missing time, I think, in 1980 or in the 80s, I believe. Uh, I'll read a quick part of her bio, and uh, she has some really interesting stuff she wants to get into as far as the election goes and, and what's really going on behind the scenes right now. So Niara has been a spiritual seeker from the cradle up, having discovered a disturbing three-month block of missing time from 1980 during her tour of duty in the United States Air Force. Niara underwent hypnosis to investigate this and other memories and strange dreams from childhood. What she discovered turned her life inside out for many years, launching her to an in-depth study and research to find out what happened to her, why, and in what political and social context. Also suffering from PTSD herself, she had to find some ways to heal from the ensuing emotional fallout. And obviously, you've gone through a tremendous healing process since then. You've written your book, Embracing the Shadow, Facing the Light, 
um, which I have not read. I know Aaron. I, I have, and it's amazing. It's well, I'm, healing is ongoing. It may be ongoing for the rest of my life. Um, things keep coming up. I have an agreement with my subconscious. Please only bring up things that I need to remember to heal because I'm carrying around enough really bad memories. And sure. I'll be carrying them around for the rest of my life. And I don't want any extras that I don't need to remember. But I had a real whopper come up the last four years that um, it really helped me heal some self-hatred issues, you know? And because, uh, you know, sometimes when you're in a situation where there's a lot of sexual assault, you get angry with your body, really enraged with your body for participating with that in any degree. And I, you know, I just had this thing come up where um, I just felt this wave of self-hatred come over me in a Walmart looking at some kind of slutty looking girls clothes. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and I had to work on that for about a year. And the thing that finally healed it, the healing thought that finally came through was um, maybe my body participated to whatever degree uh, because it was afraid that if I didn't, I might not survive the experience. And when I got that at a cellular level, I realized that my body was doing exactly what it needed to do to get me through that experience alive. I know this is really personal stuff, but I don't mind saying it because if other people that have gone through similar stuff to me hear this, maybe it'll help them. Maybe it'll help them heal. Oh, it, yeah, absolutely. it absolutely will. And if, if yeah. not, if not even heal, it'll help them uh, gain the confidence to come forward and speak about it. Mm -hmm. And that's how the healing process occurs because we're on this planet to assist each other. We're not meant to do all this on our own, you know? Obviously, yeah. there's a lot of lessons to be learned during the healing process. And we go through these things in order to learn these lessons. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously, some of the times that our higher self or has made a soul contract, you know, we've set these situations up for ourselves to heal and step into our power. So it's really, I mean, there's really no way of actually knowing if you set these scenarios up for yourself or not. I guess you can, you can go into hypnosis and find out. But it's interesting. It's all very interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, someday if, you know, if life ever settles down enough and I don't feel like I have to constantly be a digital warrior and uh, at least as much as I can be given my sensitivity to electronics, um, then if I could just relax, then I might get in touch with a friend of mine that does quantum healing hypnosis and try to look at the Mars stuff more. Um, yeah. But right now, um, I just couldn't handle having any more severe trauma came up. And I'll tell you about the dream that I had that I think was connected to Mars 20 and back. It was a pretty traumatic dream. And uh, it, uh, I had it in 1980, right after I got out of the, uh, the situation at uh, the Nevada test site. And I think I had it in like June or May of 1980. And I had just gotten done, you know, being part of the Tonopah test, uh, test range radar situation out there. Anyway, um, do you want to direct me to 
where you yeah. want to go? Or? Well, yeah, so we can, we can get into that dream later if you want. Um, yeah. I, will, I will say that if you had that dream in 1980 mm-hmm. and you still remember it, it wasn't a dream. <laughs> it was extremely vivid, and I remember yeah. it just as vividly now as I did in 1980. That's a lot of years ago. Yeah, I always, I always say that about dreams as far as if you remember it like that, it's an experience, not a dream, mm-hmm. uh, which that's an entirely different um, concept. But it is interesting. You talk about the Mars stuff. I was just doing some research on the Mars on secret space programs. And I guess Henry Deacon or Arthur Newman is his real name, mm-hmm. claims that any of the activity occurring on Mars that is seen in the secret space programs mm-hmm. is actually occurring in our fourth dimension like a 4d mars so if we were to view from our 3d reality from our 3d perspective we wouldn't see what all these whistleblowers are claiming and i yeah. thought that was really interesting and mm-hmm. apparently it's the same with a lot of the stuff that's happening in these secret space programs mm-hmm. yeah well it's not just secret space program stuff you know i was part of a uh with Lorian fenton you know she's not terribly very good and and his information i don't know why people are so down on him but maybe he's kind of eclipsed their uh public uh reception i don't know but um she had a, a conference called the uh mind control and super soldier summit you know because super soldier is a big part of the uh you know super soldier uh, genetic tampering and, and mind control stuff is a big part of the secret space program. Um, it's about, well, I, I guess it kind of harkens back to the 1960s when they started using LSD to see what they could do to create a super soldier. You know, and LSD ended up being a, a mind expanding experience. It was exactly the opposite of what they wanted it to be, you know, yeah. and uh but they've been trying to create super soldiers and doing uh, genetic engineering with people and mind control types of programming to try to create, you know, someone that will follow orders without question, someone who's not going to be tapping into their conscience or their morality. Uh, they just want somebody to obey orders like yeah. a like a machine. Yeah. And by the way, that's exactly what this new vaccine, that's the purpose it's allegedly supposed to serve, is that yeah. it's supposed mm-hmm. to just put that blanket of cognitive dissonance over the entire population. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so they they do they never do anything that you just spoke of. Mm-hmm. I just saw a video on, on something about that, and it was, uh, I'll have to send it to you guys so you can see it. It was pretty chilling. Um, but it was on YouTube. They deleted it off of YouTube. Now I found it on BitChute. But they basically have found a way to use our own biology in a particular way uh, with lights and frequencies and everything else like that to control us. But it needs, so that's like part A of the formula. It needs a part B, which is some kind of drug or vaccine to be introduced into the body to make it work. But, it's, but it doesn't depend on any implant. It just mm-hmm. depends on a chemical from the vaccine or the drug mixed with something that we already have inherently within us. And then we could become very controlled. Yeah. So um, it's kind of like somebody, some of my friends said, it's like epoxy, two-part epoxy. 
You have to put them together to get form the bond. Absolutely. I mean, people have heard me say this before. Like I, I was listening to somebody, Scott Kesterson. He has a Bards of War podcast, but he said that uh, the, the chemtrails were the start of it to put like the nano technology, the nanobite bot technology in our bodies. And then the, the, vi the virus actually connected to that nanobot technology. And then the vaccine was to basically all three of them would be working in tandem to create exactly what you're just talking about. Kind mm -hmm. of, you know, that yeah. connection. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's accurate, but it's something to think about anyway. Yeah, well, that's another, it's just one more reason why it's so important that we get Trump elected for another four years. You know, and people shouldn't be complacent about it. They shouldn't think, oh, he's got it sewed up. You know, maybe I'll just stay home because I'm sure he'll get reelected. We need to all turn out in massive, massive numbers and just sweep this election, no matter what the Democrats or the radical left tries to do to steal the election. We've got to get out there in massive numbers and just sweep this thing. Yeah. So there is yeah. absolutely no question. Yeah. It's critical. Yeah. It's critical. It's critical for all our well-being. It's with, yes, it is very critical. Um, yeah. And and the well, like you said, the fraud that used to happen, um, like Trump would have never got elected in the first place if if they if the alliance or these white hats hadn't done a lot to mitigate all this fraud because. They don't, this cabal, the Steve State, they don't leave things up to chance. They just don't. Yeah. That's not how they operate. Yeah. They, mm -hmm. they rig everything. Yeah. And to, to a degree that like you can't even possibly imagine. So I, that gives me a lot of hope. The fact that they've already done it once, you know, gotten rid of all the fraud and the rigging. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm sure they've been preparing for this. I'm sure they've been, so time. they've had four, another four years to prepare. Yeah. Well, what again. did, what did that Q drop or Trump say that they don't, they won't make the same mistake twice, meaning that we need <laughs> to expect everything and anything. But exactly. Yeah. Like they've also been preparing. Yeah, exactly. Years. So you're right. We still need to turn up. We still need to do everything we can to, Absolutely. Everything. Yeah. 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 No complacency. Get out there and do the deal. You know, if you if you really want a better world, if you really understand that this is our last stand, there probably isn't another chance after this, mm -hmm. at least not for 100 to 1000 years. Once people get fed up with the system, um, you really have to understand that this really is our last stand for a very oh. long time. It's not for us. It's for our children. It's for our grandchildren. Yeah, for everyone. Well, and, the, and the concerning part is, is that a lot of the people, a lot of the masses don't even realize that they're at risk. They don't mm -hmm. realize that we're at war, that they are enlisted mm -hmm. in that war mm -hmm. and, and participating in it, whether they are willing of it or not, or, or whether they're knowing of it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Just by participating in the matrix, you're fueling one mm -hmm. side or the other. Yeah. So, uh, it's just, you know, it's a, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a war for the survival of the species, the human species, basically. Yeah. Well, when I couldn't sleep last night, I was rehearsing and going over all the things that I could say because I see right on my own street, people, sorry, I've got allergies are driving me crazy here. Yeah, yeah. Allergens are having a field day. But um, even on my own street here in Pagosa, um, there's so many people with uh, 
Democrat signs in their yard. You know, there's a lot of people with Trump signs in their yard, too. And I belong to the local veterans organization, and they're mainly, you know, 80 percent, 85, 90 percent Trump. Yeah. You know, so I know that they're good. But I look at some of these people and their signs and I'm thinking, what could I say to them that they wouldn't take in like Trump or I'm sorry, Trump propaganda being spouted from a Trump supporter? What could I say to them that would catch their attention and make them think twice or three times about what they're doing? And this is what I came up with. If I can kind of go into some of this that I was thinking about last night when I couldn't sleep. Oh, please, yeah, please, please do. do. Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought, well, let's have it. Let's start with a history lesson. Let's go back to 1947. Um, and I know some people that don't believe in UFOs yet <laughs> might roll their eyes at this, but roll your eyes away. But I'm going to say it in, in July of 1947, we had the Roswell crash and it went all around the world in the newspapers. And within three days, Boom, they, they brought the hammer down on the story. Oh, suddenly it was a weather balloon, blah, 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 blah. But two short months after that, Truman, President Truman, signed the National Security Act of 1947 into law. And the 1940, that, that National Security Act of 1947 essentially created the shadow government. It created the alphabet agencies of the uh, CIA, the yeah, FBI, yeah. Um, NSA, it, it created a lot of these alph alphabet agencies and they operated because the secrecy was so, they felt the secrecy was so necessary that they didn't have government or congressional oversight, no public oversight at all. They were allowed to operate in secret. And that's why Eisenhower in his farewell address said to beware the military industrial complex. And once we've got our interview over, I'm going to look up the, the link for people to see that. I'm also going to look up the link for uh, President John F. Kennedy's uh, Secret Societies talk that he yeah. said. Yeah. Uh, because people need to see that. They need to review that. They need to understand that this isn't some current event of the last few years. This has been a process that's been in the making since 1947, and I could probably track it back further than that, but I think it, it really is a significant milestone, that National Security Act of 1947. So we have the National Security Act of 1947, created the alphabet agencies, gave them a way to operate without congressional or public oversight, or even presidential oversight, um, because Eisenhower said that in his speech, you know, the threat of the military industrial complex is uh, it will persist, you know? And I don't think he realized just how far gone it was when he even spoke those words. I don't think he really had a, had a grasp of, of just what a foothold it had on our government at that point. And I don't think John F. Kennedy Sr., our president, I don't think he had a really good grasp of just how entrenched it was either. Because if he had, he might still be with us. He might not have gotten assassinated. But I don't think that he was really prepared for how entrenched they were. And when he started trying to do some of the things that Trump is doing now, because mm -hmm. um, I think he tried to start the process that Trump is doing now, and they got him. They took him out before he yeah. could get it, get yeah. it even going. 
And one of the big things, one of the big things he was trying to do was to get rid of the three letter agencies and put them all under one agency. And they right. weren't going to, the people mm. above him even weren't yeah. going to have that. And, mm-hmm. that's, and they're like, no, no. He wanted to get rid of the federal and reserve. Then, yeah, and then from there yeah. on out, they quit, they, uh, they quit giving the president's actual briefings on yeah. a lot of the stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, even even though it was their own member, even though it was the deep state, still they wouldn't fill them in on these mm-hmm. black budget programs because it uh, it could potentially foil their plan. Yeah, I'm sorry, Mr. President, you don't have clearance for this. Yeah, you know yeah. what do you mean? I'm like, the president. What? Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's kind of how it was, and how it how it has been for for decades and decades, 1947 to now. That's a lot of decades yeah. for this kind of crap to go on. And uh, so then we had the next thing that came out that's historically uh, important to this is the MK Ultra. And I wish I had the access to look some things up. Um, I wasn't able to do it, but there was these uh, congressional hearings because I think it was Alan Dulles, I could be wrong, but the director of the CIA, he did a whole mass destruction. Maybe there was a Freedom of Information Act thing that he was trying to avoid, but he destroyed all the documentation he, he had or thought that he had on the MK Ultra and mind control programs. You know, Monarch, uh, MK Ultra, Bluebird, you know, there was so many different names for different types. And um, <clears throat> missed a little part of the history lesson, but we'll, we'll get to that in just a minute. Okay, so they tried to uh, wipe out all those papers, but they missed 20,000 documents, 20,000 pages of MKUltra documentation missed the the wipe. It missed the destruction. And it came out, there was a congressional hearing about it all. And out of that hearing came this quote from Senator Daniel Inouye, where he said, there's a shadowy government with its own Navy, its own Air Force, its own fundraising mechanism, and its own idea of pursuing the national interest free from all checks and balances and indeed free from the law itself. He said that. This was a U.S. senator. This was not a conspiracy theorist saying this. This was a U.S. senator of Hawaii saying this after sitting and listening to those MKUltra hearings go on and on. Okay, now the other part of the history lesson, we need to kind of go back in time. Okay, World War II is over, and because we know, because all the research and and interviews and and work that you guys have done and and what I've done, we know that the Nazis had incredible technology, technology, incredible technology, and some of it was uh, anti-gravity, you know, and and ET appearing craft and things like that. might be what they called the Foo Fighters, I don't know, during the war. Anyway, because they were, our country was so intent on having some of that technology, um, they brought a bunch of Rus- or a bunch of German scientists from the Third Reich, people who were f- fanatically committed to the Third Reich, they brought them over to our country and they put them to work in our government. In some cases, they gave them American sounding names you know, and kind of wiped their files and everything, but they, they brought them over here. They did that because they wanted to know what they knew about the technology. They wanted the technology. Yeah. Yeah. They wanted the technology. Yeah. They wanted yeah. the secret. They wanted the mind control program information of experimenting on people in concentration camps. 
Jews and other so-called undesirables were experimented on in concentration camps. And that's how they found out about something called trauma-based mind control. They found out that when a person is severely traumatized, their brain holographically and photogenic, uh, photographically uh, remembers what's happening during the trauma. And then you can also program a specific word. So if you wanted a mind control person, mind controlled person to be like a courier for a message that you didn't want to send over the phone or over email or over any kind of electronic device, you could program that person using trauma to remember the message and then have a code word that the operative at the other end would give that mind controlled person. And then that mind controlled person would come out with the message. Okay. That's just one use of it. Oh yeah. Many, many other ugly, ugly and nefarious uses for it. And, uh, and, uh, and it's linked in with um, satanic ritual. Mm -hmm. Um, Kathy O'Brien in her book, transformation of America speaks of a ritual where she was dressed up as if like for a baptism and she was wearing all white uh, clothes as a young child. And in this ritual, she had blood dumped over her and everything was soaked with red blood. Um, so it's there, there's ritual because the rituals, satanic rituals are extremely traumatizing, especially to children. And uh, so they brought these Nazis over. They wanted to know what they know. And these Nazis, uh, so faithful and fanatical about the Third Reich and, and the chosen race and everything else like that, they began to subvert our country from within. And they've had decades and decades and decades to do it. And then they had this National Security Act of 1947 that created a, a curtain of secrecy around what they were doing. So they were free to do what they wanted to do with no accountability whatsoever. None. Well, they were even yeah. put in top positions, even in NASA. You know, yeah, they were. It's, it's pretty horrifying when you yeah. realize what's occurred. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah. it wasn't and it wasn't like uh, Hitler. They weren't concerned about losing the war and losing the war on the surface level. They were more concerned about keeping and preserving the tech that they had, the technology that they had and the agreements with the ETs. It bears mentioning here that um, there's stories about Hitler having escaped to, you know, not just South America, Our, yeah. but also uh, going into the inner earth. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. you remember how Corey Good and, and other people from the inner earth have said that you can't go down there if you've eaten any meat. You have to be free of eating any meat for six months. Yeah. Um, Corey said that. I've heard it from other people that uh, from who, who say they're from the inner earth. Well, remember that Hitler was a very strict vegetarian. He was a very strict vegetarian. Now, why was that? Was it a philosophical thing? Or was he trying to make sure that he would always have access to be able to go into the inner earth? It's a good yeah. question. Yeah. And yeah. I think that uh, I think it really points to the fact that some of this has a basis in fact about the inner earth and him, him being able to go into the inner earth. Yeah. Um, what's what's the name of that movie that's that's been on Netflix where it's about Hitler having the Nazis having bases on the moon and also an inner earth? Mm -hmm, yeah. And I forgot the name of it. The Iron, uh, Iron Sky or something, maybe? Oh, yeah, yeah. Iron Sky. There's, something like there's that. There's two parts of it anyway. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I think there's a lot of disclosure in those movies. I yeah. Really well, I've been fascinated with Antarctica uh, for many, many years. And I read Richard Byrd's diary mm-hmm. um, and so on and so forth. But then there was other things that were omitted from Richard Byrd's diary, like the, the battle that he had where he was defeated by yeah. uh, Nazi forces in their ultra modern technology, you know, way, way ahead of time technology. Yeah. That's in that book, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, um, uh, Secret Journey to Planet Serpo. It's an amazing book that, that gives some really great details of that Operation yeah. Paperclip. Mm-hmm. If you can remember, please send me the title to that. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. The, the whole book. It's actually, it's about uh, a journey to a, another planet, Planet Serpo, that uh, these 12 astronauts stayed there for 10 years, ended up being 13 years. And not all of them returned. Some died. Some chose to stay. Some came back. But this all happened during Kennedy's era. Yeah. And the book to preface that it talks about World War II and the secret space program and how we even got to that point of being able to leave off to go off planet. Mm-hmm. So it's a fascinating book. That's kind of what I think what they were. Uh, tr- there was the story they were trying to tell with Close Encounters. Yeah, that's exactly it. Actually, because they selected those people to go to the planet with the aliens. Yeah, some of the mm-hmm. uh, Steven Spielberg actually, that's part of the book. They uh, they said that script was written in record time and it didn't have to be rewritten, which is never happens in Hollywood. He wrote it in like three days or something in his in his hotel room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was clearly having meetings with somebody and they never rewrote the script. So he got it from somebody. And mm-hmm. he had that, they were actually filming it at some uh, military base in Florida, I think. And he couldn't even get on base without his clearance, Steven Spielberg. And, and if he didn't have it, he had to leave and come back. So mm-hmm. he knew something. And that's what they said there. That scene at the end when they're getting on the ship to leave is a, mm-hmm. a, a direct depiction of this Planet Serpo mission, which yeah. originally started off as, I think, Project Crystal Knight, I think is what they called it during that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's another book that I really need to get out and finish. You know, I started it and I couldn't get it finished because of other things interfering, but it's called Alien Interview. Mm. Have you heard of that one? I've, I've absolutely, yeah, actually, I have heard of it. I've heard, heard of it. it. Yeah. When I did start reading it, I was really amazed by some of the parallels between Stargate SG 1 yeah. and some other things in that book. So I really want to go back and reread it because I've watched Stargate all the way through now at least five or six times. Nice. It's just a fascinating. As I say it's one of the very best soft disclosure series that's, out there. That's one of my favorite shows, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I, lo- uh-huh. I love Stargate SG one. Yeah, there's a ton of disclosure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. I want to go back and, and read Alien Interview. Um, there are things that tie in from Alien Interview, I believe, with Andrew Bartz's Galactic Historian. He mm. did a, an initial series when he first came into the public awareness, and it was like 20 different programs, I think, with Lance White. And, um, and he went into galactic history in depth. And there were things that he brought out in that that hearkened to also the Alien Interview book. Like ancient, ancient, ancient technology. Corey Good talks about this too. Ancient technology on the planet, on Earth, that is AI, yeah. you know, and, and it and it exerts a control over the planet. And I guess some of that tech, some of those technological bases have been taken out and it's left a gap in the field 
that they had around the planet with these devices. And that gap is allowing us our evolution and our, you know, breaking free of the mental control. It's allowing the energies to get to us. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So really quick, I'm just drawing a blank. So I I mentioned Operation Paperclip. What's Operation High Jump? Which is that the operation? I think that was to do with uh, Admiral Byrd. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's Admiral. That's Bird. what yeah. I was talking about. What's Oper- Operation Paperclip is also something. Which that's that's when the Nazis were brought that's, over after World War yeah. II. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, yeah I was talking about was. Operation High Jump. This is what they talk. They talk about both of those in that book. Anyway, I just had to clear that up. I was drawing mm-hmm. a blank. Yeah. Uh huh. So anyway, kind of the history lesson. So we've looked at. Um, the National Security Act of 1947, just to recap a little bit. National Security Act of 1947. Um, we looked at Project Paperclip where all the Nazis were brought over and uh, put to work for our government because we wanted to know all of their secret knowledge. Um, we've looked at the, you know, we, at least we've mentioned the farewell address of President Eisenhower where he warned against the military industrial complex. We've mentioned John F. Kennedy's speech about secret societies and uh, being, you know, taken over by infiltration and subversion rather than outright, you know, military invasion. Um, and and Q says that all the time, if I'm allowed to say Q on this show. Say it, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Say it. Yeah. Um, he talks uh, infiltration instead of invasion. Yeah. Time after time after time mentions that. Yeah. So, um, so those are the kinds of things that we have. And all this stuff, you know, that I'm talking about, minus, you know, bringing Q into it, um, all of this stuff historically can be checked out still on the Internet. I'm sure the information is still out there on the Internet to be checked out. Uh, The videos of JFK and President Eisenhower's farewell address, information on Project Paperclip, um, information on the National Security Act of 1947, Interesting thing about the National Security Act of 1947, the the curtain of secrecy that it creates around the alphabet agencies and about around shadow government goings on is so tight that if you've been injured, say if I, you know, myself being injured the way that I was in in these kind of black ops programs, um, if I got all my evidence together and everything and I tried to go in a court of law, and get some recompense, you know, get a settlement for what I went through, um, they would throw the case out of court because they would invoke the National Security Act of 1947, and the case would have to be thrown out of court and dismissed for reasons of national security. Because mind control programming is classified under national security. And it's so intense, the secrecy around it is so intense it relates to national security. Sorry, we can't have any case that goes into that because it touches on national security. Yeah. But 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 you have to ask yourself, who's national security? Exactly. Is it the national security for the people of the United States of America, for the citizens, or is it the security of the alphabet agencies and the people that are trying to keep all this stuff secret for their own nefarious purposes? It's, it's the deep state's security. Exactly. <laughs> it's not, that's the only exactly. security, yeah. So, yeah. If there's anybody out there listening who's on the fence about whether Trump's a good guy or not, if you're not so polarized that you just mindlessly hate Trump, please listen up, because this is really important stuff. 
This is really important stuff. And we've got to have Trump in for another four years to try to finish the job that he has started. It's absolutely critical because our world cannot move forward in any meaningful way when we have a global pedophilia network. Our, our world cannot move forward in any meaningful way if people are so controlled that their minds are not even free, let alone their bodies. We're going to have one size fits all health care. And there will be no accountability for the people that make the drugs or the vaccines. If they inject you or give you a drug and you are harmed by it or killed or killed by it, there is no, you can't, you can't take them to court because they're protected. Mm -hmm. They have that protection gives them no accountability. And as far as your spiritual beliefs or your religious beliefs, they don't want religion interfering with their control over your mind. They see religion as a threat. So you better listen up and you better understand. You also better understand that if you love your kids, they will take them away from you because they don't want you filling your kids' your kids' heads with, with free thought ideas. They want your kids to be indoctrinated by the state so that if you are not doing everything that the state wants you to do, your kids will turn them in just like Hitler Youth did mm. back in Hitler's era. Okay, this is what we're facing. And if you don't believe me, God help you. You know, you need to get it's, off your butt and do some research on the things that I'm talking about. And you will find out that everything I'm saying is verifiable. It is not conspiracy theory. It is fact. Yeah. And you need to really rethink your position if you are not in favor of voting Trump back in for another four years. You really need to rethink it. You know? Amen. Uh, amen. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was amazing. I'm gonna turn that into Thank a you. campaign ad. Yeah, please <laughs> do. Please do. Um, so, um, where do I want to go from here? Um, so, anyway, the things that happened to me. Okay, why is this really important to me? Okay, so I'll just give at least a brief synopsis, as brief as I can, about my own experiences. Okay. Um, I was kind of going along in my life and I was in the military for four years and then I got out and um, was a mom, had two kids, was married, uh, was writing a fiction book and everything else like that. And uh, then I ended up getting divorced because my husband was a control freak, a-hole. <laughs> um, actually, I think he was putting my life to be a handler, to be honest. It was my second husband. Yeah. Um, strange things with that as well. Um, so anyway, um, and I worked for government contractors, you know, um, went from the Air Force to working in government contractors. So basically the husband said, wow, EG&G is hiring. You could get a job and then we get a really nice house for, we could, you know, back when the day, you know, that was a lot of money. You could get a hundred thousand dollar house, you know, and I said, I don't want to go to work. I just want to take care of the kids and I want to write my book. Well, if you don't go and get this job, I'm going to divorce you, you know. I said, okay, fine, I'll go wow. get the job. So I went and got the job. And uh, then a year later, I divorced him. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, um, so all this time went by, about nine years went by, and I was out and I was kind of on my own and, you know, being a single mom and things like that. And then I had a friend who we talked about spirituality and UFOs and everything. So it was back in Las Vegas. And uh, we were talking about everything under the sun, just had these great conversations. And he knew I was in the Air Force. And, but I never talked about it. And he, he thought that was odd. 
you know, he'd bring it up and I'd kind of skate away from it to a different topic. He said after one afternoon, he said, can you sit and tell me about your military time? You know, is there any problem with that? I said, no, no problem. He said, well, tell me about it. Tell me about it from when you went in to when you got out. I said, no problem. I said, I went in at, uh, uh, to boot camp at Lackland Air Force Base in April of 1979, um, did the boot camp thing. And uh, then my, <clears throat> I went to Keesler Air Force Base in Mississippi, Biloxi, Mississippi, and I did my technical training school. That was no big deal, you know, a um, little tough on the math because mathematics doesn't come easily to my mind. <laughs> um, and then I went home for a while after Biloxi, Mississippi, uh, to be, you know, to kind of pick up my daughter and take her with me to my next duty station, which was an LS Air Force Base in Nevada, in North Las Vegas. And uh, so I got to North Las Vegas with my daughter and I and our things and moved into an apartment. And uh, and then I said, and then I got stationed at Tonopah Electronic Warfare Range because I was a surface air missile and anti-aircraft artillery radar operator and maintenance person. And um, and then I said, I and I worked at Tonopah Electronic Warfare Range. And when I said Tonopah Electronic Warfare Range, I stopped talking and I was like, I don't remember anything about working at Tonopah. And I know that I worked there for three to four months. I don't remember anything. Yeah. And I got terrified inside. I had this wave of nausea go over me. And uh, I was really scared because I don't have gaps like that in my memory. I have a really good mind and it works really well. Yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, for many years, my mind had worked like a steel trap, pretty much, you know, intelligent, articulate, everything. And then suddenly four months missing. And, uh, and then uh, later that year, um, I was at, uh, I volunteered to work at the Whole Life Expo in Las Vegas. And uh, there I ran into a couple of people, notable people. Um, Alex Collier, I don't know if you guys are. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we both love Alex. Yeah. Well. yeah. Uh, I ran into Alex Collier, listened to his talk, fascinating talk, and a fascinating man. Yeah. yeah he is. Day. Um, if you're interested in uh, Alex Collier's work, go to alexcollier.org. Um, yeah. He's doing webinars uh, yeah. all the time now. and He has uh, a lot of great information about the of, secret space of, programs, the Andromedans, uh, the blood types, um, yeah. even, even just what's going on in general on the planet right now. A lot yeah, he's got an e-book out called, um, that's been out for a long time. It's called Defending Sacred Ground, which is our planet. And a uh, terrific guy. The other guy that I ran into there was uh, Bud Hopkins, the late Bud Hopkins. Yeah. Who really was kind of the groundbreaker doing hypnosis work with uh, ET contactees and, ex you know, abductees and stuff, stuff like that. So I went to see, um, darn these allergies. Ugh, crap. So I went to see his talk. It was fascinating. And at the end, there was a question and answer. And of course, I raised my hand and I said, okay, well, I have this really weird dream from childhood where I was left alone under a street lamp. Um, I had this uh, other dream about, you know, I forget what I was saying about that. 
And then I have three months, three or four months of missing time from when I was in the Air Force. And at that point, he says, he says, stop talking. He said, just come and talk to me afterwards. So I went and talked to him afterwards. And there was me and two other people that went to talk to him afterwards. And he agreed to do a hypnosis session on all three of us. So when it became my turn to have a hip, the hypnosis session, a little bit of the missing time spilled out. And uh, it was pretty terrifying. Um, he said, well, he says, okay, it's January 19. I'm under hypnosis. He says, okay, it's January of 1980. Uh, where are you? And I said, I'm standing on the deck of the radar van and it's nighttime. And there's two other people here with me, guys. And uh, we're looking up in the sky because there are craft up there that look like UFOs. And um, he said, tell me more about what's going on. I said, okay, well, I said, we had to come out here uh, in the middle of the night to test the radar on special aircraft. And these aircraft could not be tracked. Um, they would literally disappear from the screen and then maybe reappear on our scope someplace else. Um, but it's, it's basically like winking out here and then suddenly winking back on over here on the, on the radar screen. And, uh, and I said, we were forbidden. We were given fatigues to wear with no rank insignia, no name tags, no identifying marks of any kind. We were forbidden. Our crew, the radar crew was forbidden to speak to each other. Um, except for uh, what was necessary to, to test the radar on these craft. And, they, and we were threatened not to speak to each other. And these people had guns and they did brandish them about and uh, make their point. And so I'm standing on the deck of the radar van and I'm thinking to myself, I only have a secret clearance. I don't have top secret. I don't have anything close to a high enough clearance to see this stuff. And I'm scared out of my mind, you know, at what I'm seeing. Um, I was right to be scared, okay? They put us on a bus painted kind of an Air Force blue with painted over windows. They took us to a facility that was either Area 51 with, uh, with underground facilities at it, or they took me, they took us, not me, but us. And there was other people on the bus too, besides the two guys that were with me. Um, there was another place William Pollack talked about in his uh, posthumous interview with Stephen Greer, which was an underground facility that existed at the Tonopah facility. Now Tonopah is actually a town in Northern Nevada but Tonopah is also a facility out on the Nevada test site. And apparently, according to William Pollock, it had underground facilities as well. So I could have been taken either place. I don't know. At first, because I didn't know about the uh, Tonopah facility, I always said it was Area 51, but I just mentioned that it could have been either place. So we were taken there, uh, taken off the bus, uh, taken into a medical dispensary type of place. Um, medical dispensary is like more like a doctor's office, not quite a hospital. And uh, there were chairs. Um, you've read my book. There's a picture of one of the chairs in my book, you know, because I ran into those chairs someplace else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Anyway, um, we sat down, we were told to sit down in these chairs, the lights were off in the room. And the only light coming in was there was these double doors behind us, behind where we were seating. And they had two big windows in them and the lights in that hallway were on and those lights were shining into the room, but the, all the lights were not turned on in the room. And I think that there was the darkness and uh, for being forbidden to speak to each other. It was a way to effectively isolate us from each other to keep us from comparing notes that we might trigger memory later. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, Dan Sherman's book, Above Black, he talks about the same thing. He was trained as an intuitive communicator to communicate telepathically with extraterrestrials who were picking people up in abductions and doing procedures on them. And he had one other trainee that he trained with and he said the same thing. We were isolated. We were trained in the same room, but we were isolated from each other because we were absolutely forbidden to speak to each other. So there's another instance of yeah. uh, somebody yeah. in the military being isolated in that way. Yeah. So we went into this room. I'm sitting in the waiting room, um, scared out of my mind, not knowing what's coming next. And uh, one by one, they called people off into this little side room. Um, and finally it was my turn to go in there. I was told to lay down on a stainless steel examining table. It looked like something out of the 1940s or fifties. Um, just had kind of an antique sort of appearance. Um, and I didn't have to take anything off. I just had to lay down there fully clothed. So I laid down, there was a armed security guard with a, a sidearm standing at parade rest in the room, keeping an eye on me. Um, I waited there on that table for God knows how long. I, you know, not terribly long because this all had to transpire within the middle of a night. Um, but it seemed like a long time when you don't have a timepiece. Yeah. And uh, finally, a guy in a white lab coat comes through through the same door I came through, walks past the security guard at the foot of the table where my feet were at that end, walks around the right side of me. And said, stay calm in a real deadpan, deadpan monotone voice three times. And when he got up beside the right side of my head, um, one smooth move, he came up and he injected me in the side of the neck with this chemical. And uh, it's like he had the hypodermic needle hidden in the sleeve of his lab coat. And whatever the chemical was, it went from whatever the artery here straight to the brain. And it put me immediately into, into shock. And I don't really know how to describe it. I can describe the aftermath of it a little bit better. But it just it just went into me and I was like in shock. Um, the only thing that in a movie that I saw that reminded me very much of this experience was that movie Lucy starring Scarlett Johansson. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and she got that blue chemical uh, it was kind of fluorescent blue. The chemical that I was injected with was fluorescent green. Um, and uh, and she was in shock. You know, it, it started doing things to her. Um, That's probably it, a common practice. I mean, if, yeah. it, if it's being soft disclosed in movies like that, I'm sure this is common practice mm -hmm. for yeah. in my lab situation, really. Yeah. Well, there's something to do with it where 
it could make people telekinetic or it could have an effect on the person that could spill over onto the people around them, even if they haven't taken the drug. Because what happened next was, while I was in shock, these two security guards appeared on either side of me, taking me under, under each arm, getting me up off the table and taking me down out a different doorway out of that room and down a very long staircase. At the bottom of that staircase, I was shoved into a little room uh, or booth or something. It had, I noticed that it had uh, like uh, mirrors, mirrored windows on it. Two-way mirrors, yeah. And I thought that's one-way mirrors. That's got to be one-way mirrors, you know, mirror on my side and, and people watching me. And so I, I'm pretty sure they watched me go through the effects of the injection through those mirrors. But why, unless there was some something that could spill over onto them, why put me in that little booth and watch from there? Yeah. And it did the same thing in the movie. When she opened that briefcase, everybody was hiding behind these uh, screens. They had these uh, barriers up, remember? And uh, so anyway, I went through the effects of that injection in this little booth. And when it, and it was like, I mean, I laid on the floor, curled up in a ball, screaming, because the sensation that was going through me was horrible. It was, um, I used to describe it as feeling like my body was coming apart at the molecular level and it was going to just kind of run through a drain in the floor. That's how it felt. It didn't actually happen that way. Um, but, you know, after years of putting the memories back together, I realize now that the way that my body was feeling was like it had been shot up with Novocaine way, 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 way more than you would get at a dentist office. And then that feeling that you get when you, the Novocaine starts to wear off, multiply that times a hundred or a thousand. And it's going over your whole body. All those pin, a terrible pins and needle feeling wow. that's happening yeah. over your whole body. And it's so intense that you can hardly stand it. And all you can do is lay there and scream until you can't scream anymore. And then you're exhausted and you're just laying there waiting for it to be over. And, uh, Then I was pulled out of that room and I was sexually assaulted by those two security guards and eight people watched. I thought about that for many years too, for quite a few years. I thought, why would they have eight people watch? Why would they have eight people watch? Finally, I figured it out because these people didn't look very happy to see what they were seeing, but I'm pretty sure they were in there seeing it because they were under threat that if you ever go out of this facility and talk about the work that you do or the things you're working on here, this is what's gonna to happen to your wives, your daughters, your sisters, maybe even your mother. This is what will happen to people that you love if you go out of this facility and talk. One of the, thing, one of the people watching was a gray ET of the tall variety. Um, and uh, another guy who's now passed on, uh, Bill Uhouse. He also spoke of a tall gray extraterrestrial that worked at Area 51 alongside the scientists as a technological advisor. So it tracks that me seeing this ET, I wasn't the only one to see an ET at, at Area 51. Interesting. So, yeah, so it, there's a, a, an outside confirmation of that. Um, so, 
I remember being really angry about what's happening to me because I was the little girl on my street who would beat up all the bullies. And when I wrestled them to the ground, they didn't get up till I said they got up. You know? Nice. So um, I'm not a person that was used to being controlled this way or being treated this way. And I remember the thought going through my head, someone in this room drops their, like one of these guards drops their guard for one second. I'm going to get a gun and everybody in this goddamn room is going down. Yeah. Every single one of the people in this room, including that gray ET, they're all going down. You know, of course, I didn't get hold of the gun, but that was my thought. Sure, you know? understandably. And uh, so, anyway, um, after that, I think they gave me some other kind of drug to aid in mind wiping. Um, And, I, and just a, a little aside to that, when I was reading a book on chaos theory, um, years and years later, um, I came across a little passage in the book talking about Los Alamos National Labs, which was a presence on the Nevada test site, uh, doing experiments with chaos theory and the brain and drugs for the brain. And that was extremely disturbing just to read that little passage, realizing what had happened to me out there. Yeah. So anyway, they gave me a drug that seemed to, you know, if I woke up and remembered anything about my experience the night before, it might have seemed like a very vague dream. You know, what's really interesting, I don't know if you're aware of Tony Rodriguez. He's a another secret space program whistleblower. He was in the, uh, basically he was used as a child sex slave. And mm -hmm. they would drug him up, but eventually one of the, when they switched up to drugs, uh, he was having an allergic reaction to one of the drugs and mm -hmm. it was no longer compatible. And since he, they couldn't use him anymore, they sent him off to the secret space program to basically be a slave there. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. I wonder if those drugs, the way you reacted to those drugs was like a gauge, them gauging to see how they were going to utilize you. And maybe, yeah. maybe you weren't the, exactly what they wanted. So they, maybe that's when they sent you to the moon. Well, maybe. It could be. I know that um, I think that I was chosen because I had childhood abductions by the Grace. Yeah. So mm -hmm. my mind had already been touched uh, yeah. by telepathy from these beings. I think they also chose me because I've always been a spiritual person from the cradle up. Um, I, I was a spiritual person before I knew the word spiritual as a little child. Um and I think that the chemical that they gave me in that injection, I don't know why, I just, I just really feel strongly about this, and I'm not sure why. I, know, I don't remember anybody telling me anything about it. But I think it was, they, I think they were trying, I didn't put this in my book because I hadn't quite figured it out at that time, but I think they were trying to create a chemical ascension process. Yeah. You know, I mean, on the surface, I'm sure they treat the ascension, the whole ascension phenomenon as frou-frou, you know, woo-woo stuff. Um, but on another level, they're thinking, wow, if people really do ascend to, if spiritual people who are developing themselves spiritually really do ascend to a higher plane of existence, we want to go there too. Kind of like the Borg Queen invading uh, Unimatrix Zero. They want to go there yeah. without doing the work, though. That's yeah, they want to do that without doing the spiritual work. They want to be able to go there. Yeah. 
And so I think that's what it was. And I thought, and I'm thinking maybe because I'm really a spiritual person and have a particular outlook, maybe they thought if the, if the drug was going to be successful, maybe it would be most successful on someone like myself who already yeah. trying to develop herself spiritually. Yeah. So I think that was part of it. Um, then over the three months period, all kinds of other things happened, like being taken to the moon, most likely multiple times. Um, I was a blonde security guard with uh, very cold blue eyes. I kind of think they may have dragged him out of like a sociopath that they might have got out of prison and said, well, if you come to work for us, you can do all kinds of stuff that you like to do and get paid for it. You just have to do what we tell you to do. He said, sure, I'll do that. So anyway, it's really very sociopathic individual, really liked hurting, really liked uh, sexually assaulting. And some of the things that he would do uh, was, uh, these were some of the memories that have come back over the last four years that have been really hard to cope with. Um, he would sexually assault me and choke me or smother me until I lost consciousness. And me never knowing if I was ever going to wake up again, if I was ever going to see my little four-year-old girl again. Uh, and... Uh, Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah. I can't imagine having to deal with those memories. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, you sure are strong. You sure are pulling through it. And I am strong. I'll say yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. And thanks for coming and doing this and speaking. Yeah. Like you said, this uh -huh. is why other people are going to relate. People need yeah. to hear this stuff. Uh -huh. So, anyway, um, the memories of the last four years have pretty much put any idea that I can ever be close to another human being. Those, I, those feelings have gone up in smoke. You know, it's that part of my life is just ashes at this point because I can't, I just don't think I can get close to someone in that way again, after dealing with uh, some of the things that have happened. So anyway, back to going to the moon, um, you know, that was another thing where uh, this blonde security guard would take me to the hangar and he gave me this suit of clothes to wear that really reminds me of the cover of one, or do, one of Dr. Sala's books where there's a, a man and he's facing an ET woman that has a silvery suit that's very form-fitting. Yep. Yeah. That's what that was like. They gave me these clothes to put on. I had to take everything off and just put those clothes on and it served like like a, a form-fitting EVA suit, you know, but it was really big and baggy and loose until you put it on, and then it just formed itself to your body. Really, really snug, like it just kind of vacuum-packed on. And there were boots that went to it, there were gloves that went to it. And then after that, I got aboard the craft, which I had to climb up uh, kind of a stairs or, or, you know, ladder up into the craft. When I got in there, uh, they said, we want you to lay down on the floor in this particular place. Um, the chairs are for, you know, officers that were taking to the moon. You're just supposed to lay down. I laid down between these other two guys that were also going to the moon. We just laid on the floor like cargo. The thing took off. And for just a couple of seconds, there was a gravity sort of feeling as it was accelerating up. 
you know, that kind of felt like I was pressed down into the floor for just a few seconds until the anti-gravity stuff kicked in and then it was normal. And it didn't take very long to get to the moon. I can't say how long it actually took. I keep saying like 20 minutes, which our astronauts took much longer to get to the moon than 20 minutes. It was probably something like 20 minutes from what we understand. Yeah. But really quick, I'm going to jump in. I'm sorry, but I've had an experience where Mm -hmm. I was the the same exact thing. I was thrown down on this on the floor of this craft being taken to the moon. And there was another person there. But this was it it reminded me of your story because I had been aware of your story from Cosmic Disclosure. And it reminded me of that. But when I when when we when they took off it felt like an older technology craft because the g-force was so intense my body could hardly handle it and i don't know how the, this experience worked but i ended up waking up back in my in my bed but when i woke up my entire body from head to toe was in pain excruciating pain from this g-force this feeling I've never felt before. I, I've never been on a jet or anything with this type of G-force. The most is a roller coaster, you know? Yeah. And I just, I've always wondered what happened that night and, and why I woke up feeling that the effects of whatever G-force or whatever this was. Yeah, like being crushed. Yeah, it's exactly it's where it was. For a short period of time, yeah. you know, and uh, yeah. I know, for, I know we were going to the moon. I know that. and. I've had uh, a couple of memories of that also. It's just really interesting. When you, whenever that happened to me, I was, the first thing I thought of was your testimony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I really had a very strong sense that um, my, my time perception was as warped as whatever the craft was warping to go to the moon. You know, it's kind of like that. And I think Ralph Ring and Otis Carr, when they had their one little flight of the craft that they built um, before the shadow government swooped in and broke up their team and took the technology and said, never speak to each other again. You know, um, their sense of time when they did that one little trip in their craft was, was also altered. It was very hard to keep in their mind what the sense of time was Yeah, that when they made that short little trip. So um, anyway, once we got to the moon, we were told to get off the craft and walk straight ahead to the building in front of us. We were not to look to the right or the left or to up or down. We're just supposed to keep our eyes straight ahead and go straight to that building. Well, me being me, I walked, my head was straight ahead. My eyes were mostly straight ahead, but I was like, I'm breathing and there's no, I don't have breathing equipment on. Is there like a dome overhead or is there air on the moon, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, it's kind of my eyes going up (laughs) like that, you know, and not to the right or the left, but I was like just looking up because I was confused, you know, because I thought there was no air on the moon. Well, I wonder if they create some type of atmospheric bubble uh, because I've heard similar things on Mars as well from yeah, I think there is air on Mars. I don't think it's yeah. like Earth. I think it's like high altitude, thin yeah. atmosphere. Yeah, we know there's yeah. trees on Mars. I mean, yeah. we know that. We that's been documented. Actually, there's a scientific paper written on that, uh, and this guy was allowed to write the paper. He went to his colleagues or whatever, and they at the Pentagon actually is who he went to, and they 
sign it off. And to his surprise, they let him publish this paper where he presented all of his research. And it was just like, okay, this is happening, but nobody knows about it. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. So well, I did just a little aside. I did a hypnosis session with my friend that does the quantum healing hypnosis uh, over in Durango. And I said, I want to know about whether there was atmosphere on Mars or whether I was under a dome. And so she asked me about it when I was under the hypnosis and I didn't get an answer in verb in you know, any kind of verbiage or words, what I got was an image and the image was of this gray green algae that was growing on the surface of Mars. And it was in any place where the sun hit it directly, which wasn't really that much on the dark side of the moon, but where the sun would hit it directly, it didn't grow so good, but it grew really good in all the cracks and crevices where light hardly ever touched. And it made a thin atmosphere on the moon. Oh, wow. And uh, so that was real interesting that I got that little image. And I, you know, I, I, I've been kind of looking for some outward confirmation, other confirmation that maybe somebody else has got that. But interestingly enough, there is a movie out about the red planet starring Val Kilmer. Oh, yeah, I've seen that movie. Yeah. They sent this algae to try to terraform Mars and create yeah. an atmosphere. And then these bugs ate the, yeah. the algae, but the bugs made oxygen. So anyway, this idea of algae helping to terraform an alien planet or a moon is at least it was explored in that film. But I'm still waiting for somebody that knows something directly about that algae. Um, so that was that was interesting. And then uh, basically the rest of my time on the moon was spent either working hard at manual labor. I think I did some technological labor while I was there, like operated some equipment. Um, it was excavation equipment to make like new landing pads and new building sites. And it was electromagnetic in, in nature. And it involved these two huge, I mean, like maybe an acre big, you know, uh, electromagnetic plates. And they would some, they'd be together like this. And somehow you turn on the equipment and they would kind of vibrate themselves down into the dirt or the earth or the, the moon's surface. They just kind of vibrate down in. And then you would turn on the electromagnetic generator and it would generate like two south pole polarities in the plates and the plates would push apart because the two south poles together yeah. on a magnet they repel so it would just push them apart and it was so the, the magnetic fields were so controlled it would just push them equally and evenly apart and because they were embedded down on the surface they would excavate this huge flat surface and then it would be a building site for whatever they wanted to put there like it would just push any of this crust out of the way exactly it just piled yeah. up or was it like it would pile it up you know it would just like i said it would vibrate down into the earth yeah. and then part of it would be sticking up so it wouldn't spill back in and then it would just push apart like two poles of a magnet that were similar and repelling and it would just excavate a big flat area um i did a little bit of that mostly i just did manual labor which seemed like a lot of moving boxes around or crates and uh, moving them from here to there, or moving supplies from one area into another area. And then at night, I wasn't allowed to sleep. Um, I was uh, passed around for sexual entertainment. 
And uh, you know what's yeah. so wild about that? Yeah. What's so wild about that is you know you somebody listening to this for the first time you're like oh my gosh you've been on the moon like how great you know and this technology mm -hmm. and you can breathe there and you hear all the stuff but then you hear about how you're treated yeah and it totally just changes your whole perspective the way the whole way because it's cabal yeah it's all cabal yeah. programs it's not it's human enough. trafficking whether it's done on the planet or whether i was taken to the moon and used for these kinds of purposes and everything else like that it's human trafficking yeah. that's why this touches on me in such a personal way when I hear stuff about children being trafficked and people being trafficked and being rescued, I'm thinking, thank God, thank God somebody is getting these children out of this. Thank God somebody is doing to end human trafficking, you know, and that's President Trump. He's working to end that. How could I not support a man who's trying to end human trafficking? How could anyone not support a man who is trying to end human trafficking? It's the worst crime imaginable. It's the worst crime imaginable, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. This is why this is so personal to me to get President Trump elected for another four years so that he can finish the job that he started. And, um, Well, I, I, the way I understand it is that the, the, basically the core, the source of this problem might mm -hmm. not even be, it might be off planet. Yeah. You know, it's so much bigger than we realize. You know, we talk about this human trafficking, the child trafficking. It just gets kind of thrown around anymore in conversations. But do people really understand the severity of it? Do they? Can they? they can yeah. we grasp it? No, because no. It, because we're constantly being programmed away from it. We're kind, and we've never seen it firsthand, and a lot of people yeah. haven't experienced it. Uh, which is also makes me wonder. You know, we see these these top big name, these big name pedophiles like um, Epstein and Ghislaine yeah. Maxwell and stuff. But it makes me wonder, you know, they take them down. It gives the rest of them time to run and hide and jump off planet. Or It just makes me wonder how much control we actually have. How much are patriots truly in control? And, and what does that actually look like? You know? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure how that's all going to come out, but I don't think that there's too many places they really can run and hide. Yeah, I don't think maybe so. Maybe some of them, maybe some of them can get off planet, but um, I don't think that they can. I think that they're and and we hear stories about people wearing anklets and wearing clothes to kind of hide the fact that they're wearing an anklet. Yeah, they may yeah. have some of these people under lockdown with these anklets. Mm -hmm, they can't go anywhere. But um, the the way that I got out of the moon. Um, and this relates to something very esoteric, and some people may not want to believe it or not. That's their choice. But um, I'm like one of Dolores Cannon's starseeds. You know, I came here from a star family. I chose to be incarnated as human. I was in what she calls the first wave of volunteer souls. Yep. Sorry about this. <laughs> and um, she... Uh, well, what happened for me? Let's just go into what happened for me. So I did a hypnosis session with Mary Rodwell in 2010, 2011. And uh, it was really a wonderful session. I actually got to go on the Laren ship and see my Laren people, which is, that's my star, you know, soul lineage is, is Laren. 
And uh, I saw the commander of the ship, but he wasn't like a military commander at all. He was more like a, a loving, loving father figure that watched over everybody on the ship. And he says, we're going to take an astral travel. He says, I, I'm going to take you to Mars, and then I'm going to take you to the moon. So we, went over, we went to Mars, and we were flying in the astral forum over Mars. And we, he showed me that there were human archaeological digs happening in the Sidonia area of the face on Mars and the pyramids on Mars. Oh, yeah. Archaeological digs. That's what uh, John Vivanco confirmed via remote viewing. Yeah. We just talked about this yeah. last week. Okay, well, that's cool to hear that, you know. Yeah. And um, and they all he also showed me somehow that there were above ground and below ground, uh, you know, living and working facilities on Mars. And um, and I think that they're they're there even there looking for alien technology that can be weaponized. You know, I'm sure that a lot of it is just for pure intellectual interest, but I think the other agenda is trying to find technology that they can weaponize and use. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. And a lot of it, I think, is uh, something Corey touches on is about they're they're actually fascinated into learning about this ancient builder race because they don't yeah. know much about them. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't have any written language except for that Amuamua craft that came in a couple of years back. Whenever yeah. they were able to get on there, there was bodies in stasis and they were more interested in the writing on the wall because they had no document, no record of these people's written language. This is mm -hmm. the first time they had ever gotten it. Yeah. So I think that they're by do, them doing that excavation and stuff on Mars, I'm sure they're trying to find out as much about this ancient builder race as possible. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there's archaeological digs going on all over Mars. Any place where there is a hint of a previous uh, civilization. And of course, we know uh, generally most people that are into this subject know that there was uh, a planet between Mars and Jupiter that in some kind of uh, ancient interstellar war or inner and i think a huge chunk of it must have grazed the surface of mars and created mariner valley because when you look at look at mariner valley on mars it looks like nothing so much as a valley it looks exactly like something just gouged through the surface of mars and made this big crevice and I'm sure that was a chunk of Marduk when it exploded. It just, and it probably really screwed up the planet for the, the people that were living there at the time. And they had to either leave or go underground to live. Oh, absolutely. Or, or come to Earth. Yeah, or come to Earth. Supposedly, admission to Mars, you know? Supposedly, Mars was a moon of this planet mm -hmm. that used to be Earth like, that used to be yeah. exactly like, basically like Earth. And except then, it was massive except yeah, yeah. and right. well that yeah well that planet was earth-like and then apparently mars was as well from mm -hmm. what i've heard um and but mars was like a moon of this planet and then when that blew up it got blown and and basically just into the orbit that's of right. uh, the sun and it's become well planet. it's become the asteroid belt and then that planet became the asteroid belt. And that's why they, and there's the also Operation Brilliant Pebbles, which is where all the excavation mm -hmm. occurs on the asteroid belt, yeah. because within within that is a lot of runes as well. Mm -hmm. so yeah. They're, they're actively looking for stuff there as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So then the next thing that this commander, uh, father figure said, now we're going to go to the moon and we're going to visit the moon in the past when you were there. 
and the things that were happening to you there were happening. I said, I don't really want to go anywhere near that place. I just want to stay away from it. He says, you need to see what I'm going to show you. And he, he said, don't worry, you're going to be safe. So we went there and kind of hovering above in the astral. Um, he showed me an exchange that happened between a very tall willowy ET uh, and an officer that was kind of in charge of my time on the moon. And the tall willowy ET was having a telepathic exchange with the officer. And he was, and he could see me when I was walking around. He could see me and he could see in my aura the galactic family that I was connected to, which was the Lyrans. And this ET said telepathically to this guy, you have no idea who you have there. Do you realize that everything you're doing to her gets reported back to her people? And uh, and I have a very strong feeling, I haven't had any outer confirmation of it yet, but a very strong feeling that there is some kind of treaty or some kind of agreement between uh, the United States government and uh, the Laren people, that their people are not to be tampered with. And that includes people, Lyrans, that have chosen to incarnate in a human form. Well, absolutely, there is a treaty. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. these run this planet. <laughs> That's the yeah. big secret, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, even so with anyway, that got me out of it. You know, yeah. they thought, oh, shit, you know, we didn't yeah. realize. They took, her, they took me back to Earth. They did everything to wipe my memory, and they turned me loose. Yeah. And... Uh, and that's how that's how I got out of it, apparently. And yeah. it was it was an important thing for me to see, and it was an important thing for me to understand. And yeah. uh, I'm glad that I did understand it. Um, and so now here I am. You know, um, it's been a long journey uh, learning to live with these kind of memories because the memories are they're so traumatic and they're so cruel that. When I first got the memories back, I started having memories come back. Uh, I remember just sitting on my sofa, kind of rocking back and forth, thinking, how in the hell am I going to go on living with this? And the only reason I was able to is because I know suicide is a trap. You know, my whole spiritual life has shown me that suicide is not an escape. It is a, it is a trap. It is a way to make everything a thousand times worse for you, um, uh, for your soul's journey through the cosmos, let's say. Basically, you get stuck in a, in a place that you can stay there stuck a really long time, especially if you have a very strong will, and you will yourself to keep remembering. So um, whatever way you decided to commit suicide, you could find yourself on the other side keeping trying to do that method of suicide over and over and over again. And then finally, after you've done it, however many hundreds or millions of times, then maybe the thought just kind of creeps in. Why can't I get the job done? It seems like I've been trying to do this. And then I find myself right back in the same place, trying to do it again. What's going on. And when, when you have that much of a break in your, in your will, you have that much break in your ability to question what's going on, then there's all kinds of souls around you that rush in and say, we've been waiting for you to make this realization. Now we're here to help you out. Yeah. yeah. I, this it's is like a free will uh, law of the universe there. Yeah. So yeah. this yeah, is probably why. never happened to me before, but while you were telling that story, I felt 
something come in and just like there's a presence here and they wanted me to tell you that they're extremely proud of you <laughs> i'm not joking like it, they wouldn't let me ignore it my whole body started going through this this weird it's still here um and i just kept they're like tell her make, tell her that we're proud of her this is my life purpose this is why i incarnated as a lyran into human to go through this i'm fulfilling my life purpose in doing this and that may sound really weird to people sorry I used to really have a funny feeling about people that said, oh, I'm on a mission, you know, and everything else like that. But then when when my mission became clear to me, then I understood people who say they came with a mission, you know, because this it's been my mission to come here, to have these experiences. And these experiences have helped me deal with karma that I needed to clear. So there's been a purpose to them that way. Um and then I had these experiences and I spent a lot of time researching and trying to understand why they happened. I had no intention of going public because, you know, just to make a crack a little joke here, but it was kind of a serious, half serious, half joke kind of thing. I said, if I ever go public with this, my only job opportunity in front of me is going to be speaking at UFO conferences. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, yeah. Um... That's amazing. And I do, I know why that just happened. So sorry, I can't get over this right now. No, please go. I, cause I just recently spent some time at East SETI and James Gillen um, taught me how to connect with my Pleiadian guide and then also the lion beings. Mm -hmm. And, and he told, and he had them come in and he let me feel what it was like when they were around. So I mm -hmm. could know when they're around. Yeah. And as soon as I asked myself if it was the lion beings that were here, my whole body just got that hit. But had he not shown me that, I would have not been able to uh, deliver that message. This yeah. is just totally fascinating to me right now. I appreciate that. It's it's nice to know that they're proud of me. I think I've had kind of a sense of it. But, um, you know, I've done the very best I can to keep my ego out of my mission. I've done the very best I can. Um, I think I've done a pretty good job. But then sometimes when I think about, you know, I've had a strong desire before all this stuff came up over the last four years and with Trump being president, I really thought about stepping away from public life and just thinking, you know, I'd like to just stay home and, and, and do my gardening and do my artwork and be a dog mom. I'd like to do that and nothing more, you know. But then all this stuff came up with President Trump and him being elected and all this these things. And I thought, you have to step in and be one of these digital warriors. You just have to because of the things you know. And, you know, and so no retirement yet. Yeah, yeah. You well, know? That's, that's with all of us right now. I think mm -hmm. we understand the severity of it. We understand how crucial it is. Yeah, we, mm -hmm. we are quite literally existing on a different timeline than these people who, let's say, are voting for Biden. There's two different things going on yeah. right now. Mm -hmm. And it's, that's dangerous. And mm -hmm. we need to make sure that the optimal timeline, you know, prevails. And I think that it will, but uh, we can't just sit back and watch. Well, I really thank you guys for doing this interview with me. And um I just got word of another high profile interview that I may be invited to do here very shortly. 
um, doing the interview with Alara. It just seems like people are more interested again in, in things that I have to say. And, you know, when I can come out and talk like this uh, with you, with you guys and with other people like you, uh, it's the best message I can give to people who will listen about why Trump, why it's so critical that we reelect Trump. It's just absolutely critical. I mean, when you vote for Trump, you're choosing a re you're choosing to invest it yourself and your energy in a reality where human trafficking is going to end and people and children aren't going to be harmed that way. You know, you're choosing to invest yourself in a reality where maybe we will have a new financial system that doesn't enslave people. We're choosing by voting for President Trump to live in a reality where we might have be free from fossil fuels and uh, full disclosure could happen and free energy technology could be brought forward. I mean, we're, we vote for Trump. We are choosing a whole new reality. Yeah. And that's really huge. And if you look at the Q movement, it's worldwide. There are millions and millions of people worldwide that are hanging on this whole thing, waiting for things to play out. And everybody is praying and hoping that it turns out. And you know, the one thing that's common to all those people is a desire to live in a free world. If yeah. that's not a unity consciousness movement, I don't know what is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, exactly. It's beautiful. beautiful. And we got to support that. We got to support that. You know, I mean, the, the new world order, they aren't even trying to hide who they who or what they are anymore. They're coming yeah. right out with stuff. The UN website changed now to the UN uh, www or UN new world order dot org. You know, I mean, that's yeah. the website now. I mean, they're not even trying to hide it. They can't afford it. They can't afford to hide it. They don't they can't yeah. afford to do this covertly. The it, censorship is just. Yeah, way more than I've ever seen. It's off. As, as aggravating as censorship is, um, it just it just tells all of us just how terrified they are yeah. of the things that are coming out. So we we got to we got to use everything in our power to keep this message suppressed and everything else like that. But it's not going to suppress. Mm. It's just well, going to find another way out. Well, it's already backfiring yeah, on there, I, and that's what I always use this. In, yeah, sorry, Aaron. No, it's. It's funny because the more they try to stop it, the more it's backfiring. So the I'm just like, yeah, keep, yeah, the Streisand effect. Exactly. The more they, the harder they try to fight this, the more it's gonna it's, put eyes on. The it. faster it's gonna wake people up, and the and the more it's, in my opinion, I'm already seeing it. And uh, so it's kind of like they're their own downfall. I mean, it's gonna happen no matter what, but they're like speeding it up. Yeah. And uh, yeah. they're they're and everything they're doing. I mean. They kind of sealed their own demise a long time ago from one perspective yeah. uh but they're kind of freaking out right now because they see everyone waking up and they see and they're being taken out actively obviously they've been for a while and uh they're literally scrambling and just like freaking out but they've chosen to go against life for a very yeah. long time with their satanic rituals yeah, and their dark way of doing things and trying to steal the energy and the essence of other living beings to prop themselves up and 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 keep themselves going uh, long after they should have aged and died. You know, they've been doing this for a long time. It's absolutely against the conscious living and loving universe itself. Yes. It's even against the free energy principle. Free energy is self-renewing. Mm -hmm. You know, it just keeps making more of itself. It's 
It's the way the universe is set up. And there is such uh, an absolute marriage that people may not really understand between free energy and its endless renewable, it's an endlessly renewable resource and love, which is also an endlessly renewable resource. Yeah. And I know this from doing drumming and dance workshops. Okay. When we would, when I would have people drum and dance their emotions. And when they were, let's just take drumming. Okay. If you're doing, if you're drumming, you're out your negative emotions, you usually clear your negative emotions within five to seven minutes, drumming the rhythm of them out of your body onto the drum. Five to seven minutes, pretty much it. Maybe in a rare case, you'll get somebody that could go 10 minutes with their anger and their rage and their fear and everything else like that. But, but after that, once that five to seven minute threshold has been hit, then the rhythm changes into something renewable, something joyful, something that just keeps renewing itself. And then there's no limit to how long you can drum, except, you know, your hands are going to get tired and you're going to have to drop the drumsticks or, or stop with the hands. Sure. That's it. But I've watched it happen time after time after time in the drumming and dance workshops I used to do years ago. You know, the negative emotions, they're spent very quickly. Entropy, that's what it's called. And then the other rhythm comes in and it's a joy rhythm. It's a, it's a love rhythm and it just keeps making more of itself. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're just all jamming together and we're just enjoying it. And then finally we get so tired, we just can't do it anymore. And then it's like, ah, you know, <laughs> this wonderful <laughs> energy that we're just, that we've just bathed in together in all this time. And I wish that I could do those drumming and dance workshops again. And if I ever get well enough and start getting rested enough, I will. Yes. I don't care if I'm 65 years old or what, I'll keep doing it. And you know me, I was, you know, an older lady and I was at the Dimensions of Disclosure. Yeah, running around the whole place. that whole time, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I was out of breath at the end of it, but I did it, you know. <laughs> I was still pretty tired and not doing so well back then. <laughs> but the energy carried me to yeah, do it, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, it's really there. And I just, I just hope that I can bring more of that out because just like the, uh, it's an important part of generating unity consciousness, you know, mass meditations for world peace or healing or whatever world healing, that's the passive path of unity consciousness. The drumming and dance is an active path of unity consciousness. And I think both could work together really well. You know, the quiet, passive meditation and then the act of drumming and dance and just really, you know, working to clear all your negative emotions. And then you're just like a a sun that can go supernova. And then if you're in a group of, of people that feel like sun's going supernova with positive energy that they're generating, and then you release a powerful intention with that wave of energy, Talk about changing the world. Oh, yeah. We can change this so world. Yeah. yeah. It's uh-huh. all, it all comes down to intention, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Energy yeah. and intention. So, yep. Yeah. Well, Melniara, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say, kind of trying to tie our whole time together here together, that in the beginning, I started with the, uh, with the history lesson. You know, going back to the National Security Act of 1947 and how it started the alphabet agencies and the, you know, the secrecy 
and the curtain of secrecy being impenetrable because of the National Security Act of 1947 and my life and how it's been touched by that secrecy, you know, being part of that black ops program that put me into a situation where there was all the sexual assault and being injected with experimental chemicals and uh, taken places. Um, you know, that's how it's, so I, I told people about the history. I've told people now about it's per, how it's personally affected my life and why I'm so passionately, passionately supporting Trump you know, 120%, 500%, you know, we got to have him be reelected because we cannot have a world that's moving towards the slavery of the human race. And that's really where it's going to take us if we do not have Trump. Trump is here trying to end all of that so that we can move forward as a free world. He's not just, in many ways, he's not just the president of the United States. He's president of the whole world and all the people across the whole world that are waiting for the encroaching enslavement of humanity to end, you yeah. know? And we've got to support this man so that he can finish the job that he began and lay the foundation for a new world. Yeah. And uh, what, so, happens, what happens it, in the United States mm -hmm. affects the rest of the world. It affects, exactly. it affects the surrounding planets. You don't mm -hmm. think these ET races are watching to see what happens here and assisting in any way they can because you know the cosmic web everything's connected you know and we've got et friends helping us yeah. and trump as well which is yeah. the the good news yeah. mm -hmm. for people that have trouble with me saying that i've been to the moon you know people are saying oh that's just crazy i'm done listening well if you're still listening um i will tell you there i did all the research to not find out just about my experiences but again the political and social context in which they happened and in the disclosure project that was done by Stephen Greer, there were whistleblowers that came forward talking about structures on the moon, talking about photos from the moon where buildings on the moon were airbrushed out so they would be scrubbed up and clean for the public to look at. Um, there have been people that talk about 20 and back programs that go, I mean, the information is there. There was Gary McKinnon uh, the UK hacker mm -hmm. that hacked into uh, the naval database and found a list of non-terrestrial officers. That means off Earth, not of Earth officers and a naval space-based fleet. You mm -hmm. know, when I make my claim, it's within a much larger context of all kinds of other whistleblowers that given, have given their little pieces of what is happening off this planet. Mm -hmm. You know, so don't you don't have to believe me. But I hope that you're interested enough and your interest is peaked enough to go out there and do your own research and find some of the puzzle pieces that I've put together over the years to give my story some weight and some credence. Yeah. So, and I wrote a book. It's called uh, Facing the Shadow, Embracing the Light, A Journey of Spirit Retrieval and Awakening. Uh, Aaron has read it. He really enjoyed it. Amazing. Uh, Everyone go buy it. it. Yeah. So and I've recently, uh, in the last year, I've made a free copy to anybody that wants to to read it. That for so for whatever reason they can't afford twenty two dollars for the book on Amazon, um, they can go to my website, Facing the Shadow, Embracing the Light, and download a copy of the book in PDF format, because the information is so important 
that I think everybody really needs to have it. There's not just information about my experiences and my trauma and everything. Part three is called awakening. It's all about consciousness. It's all about where our world could go. It's all about how vital and critical we are as human beings and how when we unify our consciousness, there's nothing that can stand against us. And you got to think of it this way. The world we see around us with all of its controls and all the negative things that it's happening, that is a product of our collective consciousness. Yeah. Only it's collective consciousness that has been indoctrinated, which is a level of mind control. It's had all kinds of indoctrination from the cradle to the grave that has indoctrinated us as a mass collective unconscious to create a programmed reality from our collective consciousness. Mm-hmm. The elites aren't making this reality. They're making us create this reality for them by yeah. indoctrinating and using mind con- mass mind control techniques on our minds. Yep. So that means that we have the keys to the castle. We have mm-hmm. the keys to our own freedom, but we have to, we have to wield this together. We can't just separately go do it. We have to join our consciousness together in a unified manner. And then we can make the change. Yes. But we we can't do it separately. And it's a, it's a power that we have to wield in love. Also, it won't work. They're in love. Yes. That's how they were able to pull this virus off. Yeah. Uh Exactly. We get us to manifest it. Yeah. Us to collectively manifest this virus. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. why we wake up, it's game over. It's why yeah. they're freaking out right now because we're waiting. Yeah. Anyway, it's a kind of love that I would term agape. You know, it's kind of a divine, yeah. higher sort of love where we just all realize we're all human beings. We all want to be free. We all want to be happy. We all want to have our needs met in a particular way that's really healthy for us. We all come together in a divine sort of love with that kind of intention. And I would just say to everybody, that if you want to be part of a unity consciousness movement, every time you see something negative going on in the world, give it your heart space for at least a minute, you know, 30 seconds to a minute, just kind of say, yeah, oh, that, you know, that poor child that I just saw in that video that's being abused, you know, by the pedophiles. I send that child my heart energy. And then take that same traumatic thing that you just watched and make a vision in your mind of exactly the opposite. See that child happy and dancing and free and healed or see, or whatever else you see. Like if you see chemtrails in the sky, you know, give it your heart space and acknowledge what's really there and then turn it 180 degree, 180 degrees around in your mind and visualize a, a perfect blue sky with no chemtrails. And do that with anything you see on the planet that is not optimal, that is not perfect, that is against life. Just give it your heart space for a few minutes and then turn it completely around and see it exactly the opposite. Whole, healed, healthy, happy, everywhere. Any, you can do it with anything and it can be a spiritual practice that you can do with throughout your day. Yep. And if everybody does this, it will become a unity consciousness movement of moving us from and being an enslaved people whose conscious very consciousness has been enslaved and indoctrinated for thousands, if not millions of years to being free minded 
in creating the world that we were meant to have and fulfilling our destiny of who we're meant to really be. We are not meant to be controlled, mind-controlled things in some kind of matrix where we're the ones building the, ma- building the matrix from our mind because we've been indoctrinated, okay? We're, we're meant to be something so much more. We have, the, we have the genetics of 22 different ET species in our genetics. Just imagine what lays within those genetics that we could begin to manifest if we can throw off the enslavement. Just waiting to yeah. be activated. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Just, and it's activated through positive emotions and love. The frequency yeah. of positive emotions, joy and love, moving through the DNA turns on a whole bunch more of those codons. Mm-hmm. They, they serve up fear porn on a regular basis because they're really afraid that if we generate too much love and joy, we're going to turn on all that DNA and all of its amazing potential. So they keep us afraid, yeah. you know? It was an experiment done by Greg Braden, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, I could go on and on, but I guess. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, ama- it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. So spot on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, everything, right there. everything you said tonight is just, it's going to, it's going to touch people. It's going to reach people. Um, mm-hmm. Everything, your testimony, your story. And then obviously the stuff uh, yeah. about Trump, it's really great. And a lot of people need to hear that. So this is very timely also. So yeah, um, we'll have, uh, We'll have this up, or we're recording this now, but it will be up Thursday night. So, mm-hmm. um, anyway, thank you so much again thank for doing so this. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. If you ever want me back, I'd be happy to come back. Oh, we'd love yeah. to have you back. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Definitely make yeah. it happen. And, uh, yeah, go go get some sleep. I know you're I know you're tired <laughs> yeah. out of there. And, um, yeah. yeah, I guess mm-hmm. Trump 2020. <laughs> Trump 2020, and yeah. if we were physically together, I'd give you both a big warm hug. Oh, same. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's one thing that this whole mm-hmm. thing has done is, you know, take away that human touch from a lot of people yeah. also, uh, mm-hmm. that social distancing yeah. and stuff. lockdown, social distancing. That's all part You're both really amazing young men, and you're doing an incredibly good job. Oh, thank, you. You. Thank, you. thank you. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. All right, well... Thank you again, Miara, and uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and thanks to everybody who supports us every week, who comes back and watches and and donates and buys T-shirts and gets the patch. It all helps. Um, It all helps, and it's why we're doing it. Thank you guys so much. It's it's what keeps us doing this, besides the fact that it's just our passion. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it makes it it fun to do this. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry I've had all these allergies, but some of this – Dabbing at my eyes has been emotional as well as allergies. Yeah, it's okay. Oh, uh, let yeah. it out. Yeah, it's important to let it out. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good night, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, and we will catch you next week. Have a great night. All right. Bye bye.